to Arts Forward MKE. I'm Lindsay Sheridan, Director of Marketing and PR at Imagine MKE. Each week on the show, we sit down with an artist or arts administrator in Milwaukee and dive deep into their story, asking them about their Milwaukee origin, their early memories that sparked a love of the arts, their present work, and their vision for the future of the city. On today's episode, I speak with Brent Hazelton, Artistic Director of Milwaukee Chamber Theatre, about transitioning into his new role, producing the Milwaukee Black Theatre Festival, and much more. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy. Welcome, Brent. Thanks for being with me today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, So really excited to have you on the pod. Um, And I'd like to start, as I start all of my episodes, to set the tone, uh, dig a a bit back in your history. And can you share with us, do you remember a time early in life that you experienced art in a way that impacted you deeply, that stuck with you? Sure. Um, I mean, in, in terms of my career as a theater maker and sort of where, where that may have come from, um, being from a family that really, uh, that just hasn't been a part of us ever. Um, I mean, I remember my parents taking me to Sesame Street Live when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing all of like my best Sesame Street friends come to life in front of me um, was a super, super transformative experience. I remember doing that a couple times. And, and based on that, I guess, sort of had a real, a real craving for uh, live performance of, of any kind. Uh, I have, you know, vague memories of my mom hustling me to little community theater performances. I'm from Whitewater originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, in sort of small towns and county performing art centers around there as I was a little, little kid. Um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, in terms of, of like core foundational formative experiences, um, I'm, I'm going to attribute it to Sesame Street Live. But certainly, you know, there's not a, there's not a day goes by um, that I don't find myself, I mean, we all do, right, touched or impacted by art in some way. Mm -hmm. But I think for those of us who uh, create it, either, you know, vocationally or avocationally, and are now in a space where that is much more difficult to do, particularly for those of us whose art is dependent on gathering human beings together, Mm -hmm. uh, you certainly appreciate um, both the lack of it and the profound impact that it can make when when you do encounter it moving throughout your day. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you mentioned that you're from Whitewater. Can you set up a bit for us? What brought you to Milwaukee? What's your, what's your Milwaukee origin story? Yeah. And, uh, and what, what were you up to before you came into this role that you're in now? Yeah. Sure. My, my dad is from West Dallas, grew up on uh, 60th in Oklahoma. So that uh, have, you know, Milwaukee's always been a, a part of my life coming in on weekends to hang out with grandma, various aunts and uncles mm-hmm. and cousins all over the city. Uh, my mom's from Kewaskum, so definitely a a Wisconsin family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I lived in Whitewater until I was 18 and then went to school at uh, Cornell College in Iowa for four years. That mm-hmm. was my my great 18-year-old rebellion. I got to get out of Whitewater, <laughs> so going to Iowa. Um, and then after that, came back uh, to Milwaukee Rep uh, to be an acting intern uh, in 1999, right out of undergrad. Did that for a year, uh, house managed the Steampy Theater the next year, um, and then had an opportunity to move into arts administration after that. So was the uh, assistant to the artistic staff for two years, mm-hmm. then uh, ran the artistic internship program for eight years, grew that into one of the two sort of strongest internship programs of its kind in the country. 
then um, became associate artistic director and built and ran the John Jack D. Lewis New Play Development Program for just about 10 years or so. Um, and then the opportunity to succeed Michael Wright over here as artistic director at Milwaukee Chamber Theater popped up um, and was fortunate enough to be offered the opportunity to do that. So have been over here. Um, I've been officially the artistic director of Milwaukee Chamber Theater now since July 1st, so a very, uh, very short time, um, <laughs> but did have the, the great good fortune to spend all of last season transitioning into the mm -hmm. role part-time, um, working with Michael, getting to know the company a little bit, getting to know the board, which not only really helped us, uh, it just helped me find really good footing in terms of what the company is, but also helped us um, figure out how to lay some groundwork for where we wanted to go so that we didn't jump immediately into a very sudden transition when I started July 1st, which in retrospect was a great thing to do because <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot going on in July 1st. Right, right. What right. was going on was a whole lot of we don't know. Um, mm -hmm. but Wisconsin is very much home for me. Um, you know, I've only, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I've only really lived outside of the state for four of those years. Um, and there's, there's really nowhere else I would rather be or rather work. Um, it's, uh, yeah, home, home is a, home is an important concept to me. Um, it's really valuable to just sort of know where, where my feet are and how it feels to put them in a familiar place every day. But as an artist, I'm, I'm most interested in, um, creating theater that um, carries on an ongoing conversation with mm -hmm. a very specific audience, um, designed to help that audience figure out how to make their community the best that it can possibly be for everyone who calls it home. And while I'm sure you, know, you can have that conversation in Cincinnati or Sarasota or Seattle or wherever, um, I don't know those people and I don't really know those places and I, my the sort of compulsion and drive I feel to have that conversation and to contribute to um, the betterment of those places is not nearly as strong as it is to do that here. Mm -hmm. So it's been really, um, I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to spend my entire professional career here. Um, I think it's very important uh, if you're having an ongoing conversation, that conversation has to have some mass to it. The only real way to do that in this day and age is to do that through institutional theater. Um, I've been really fortunate to have institutional opportunities for basically my entire professional career. Mm -hmm. And to have the opportunity now to um, to lead one is a, a really a really great gift and a great responsibility. And um, yeah, something that I am even in this <laughs> weird moment where <laughs> we're trying to reinvent what is even possible every day, let alone mm -hmm. definitively knowing what we're going to do. Um, there's still kind of nothing I'd rather get up in the morning and tackle every day. Mm. So you're new to Milwaukee Chamber Theater, of course, you've had mm -hmm. this transition period. Um, I'm curious if you can share about what was, what was already special about Milwaukee Chamber Theater when you were coming in, what drew you to it? And what's some of your perspective as you're thinking about, of course, the pandemic puts a bit of a damper on what you might've thought when you first started this process, but what's your thinking about um, you know, the direction the organization is going in and what you, what kind of theater you want to make with that sure. company. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing is it's not, it's not broken, right? Which is always great to move into a new situation where you're not, um, you're not having to pick up pieces or it's not a massive reclamation project. I mean, my, Michael and Kirsten Finn, the managing director who was here for 10 years did, I think, uh, a great job of bringing stability to a uh, medium-sized 
performing arts nonprofit, which is a hard thing to do even in the best of times. <laughs> um, and you know, there with with Michael having been here for 15 years, there was so much consistency in terms of how people um, perceived the institution, uh, the sort of relationships they were able to build with it, and and the center and the core of the institution really is about relationships. Um, which, uh, you know, obviously, certainly all, all art is relational at some core, all nonprofit practice is relational, but, but it really struck me and, you know, ha having sort of observed the company for 20 years, you know, being a theater maker in the city and having uh, worked here once and known a whole lot of people and seen a whole bunch of work, you, you know, you think you have a pretty good idea of something, but until you get inside, you never really do. Mm -hmm. And the thing that, that surprised me most of anything was the, the depth of care and the lengths that, um, Michael and Kirsten would go to 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 build and maintain those relationships hmm. um, in a really uh, a really generous, open-hearted, special way that I'm not don't know that I have the capacity for. <laughs> Just I don't know if I'm wired <laughs> that way, right? But it's um it is really really important. And uh, you know, going back to what I was saying before about having a conversation with an audience, um, it's even better to have a conversation with an audience that you know really well. And of course, audiences are composed of individual people. So the better you get to know those individual people, the better you can have that conversation. So, so at that sort of fundamental level, I do feel like it's really um, set up very nicely for the ways that we want to expand all that is currently good about it and add a whole lot of new stuff to the mix. So for me, it's about um, you know matching the company to the the transition that Milwaukee itself is in right now, where we're shifting from a uh, primarily baby boomer dictated or dominated uh, arts and culture and even economic scene to something that is much more Gen X and millennial focused, um, much more diverse in terms of race and ethnicity and cultural occupation, um, gender identity, sexuality, um, and, and shifting in all those places to, to new styles of art and new forms of expression and new narratives. Mm. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, in taking that solid core of chamber that Michael built and just expanding it until it reflects what the city really is and what the city is going to be and become in the next five years most immediately and then seeing where we go from there. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's crucial for me that, you know, the work, it's impossible to have a conversation Right, and a conversation that leads to something in the community, unless the audience is representative of that community. And the audience will never be representative of that community until the work on stage is representative of it. And that work on stage will never be representative mm -hmm. of it until the board is. So, um, so it really is about opening our doors wide at every level um, and figuring out how we can engage people who sort of regardless of circumstance, where they're coming from, what they're bringing to the table, who are interested in having the same sort of conversation with the city as we are. You know, the goal, I think, is to create a chamber, uh, a fully desegregated space that um, can serve as a, a model for the city about what can happen when you are able to successfully create microcosms of the city itself inside organizations. Mm. Um, that's a massive goal. Um, we are so fundamentally far away from achieving that, both as an institution and as a community. Um, but again, in terms of, of a thing to wake up every morning and want to accomplish, mm -hmm. feels like a worthwhile way to spend some time. And as something to 
as something curatorially then to position art toward um, mm -hmm. is certainly a very clear, very clear guidepost in terms mm -hmm. of what we're programming to. Um, but you know, my my taste as an artist, I think, is um, right in line with uh, a lot of what Chamber has been. Um, language is very important to me. That's certainly been a hallmark of the company since Monty and Ruth founded it in the very beginning. Um, elevated language in particular. Um, there's so there's so much that you can accomplish just with words and talking and listening. And one of the real the real special things, and kind of about the only thing that theater actually offers that some other form doesn't, is as a space to listen. Mm -hmm. um, all it asks of you is to show up and sit in a seat and just listen. Listen to what's going on on stage and listen to how that lands with everyone else in the audience with you. Mm. And as you're hearing it land with other people, at the same time you're hearing it land with you, if you're listening to yourself in the same way, mm -hmm. uh, naturally you discover similarities in the people around you and it just brings the world a little closer together. Mm. So if we can really pull that audience world tightly together and focus that energy on something in the community that needs attention or even just awareness raised, right? Um, then I think there's an opportunity for some real change because if you're able to create a um, uh, a strongly motivated multicultural group of people, multi-generational, who, um, who want to work towards something collectively, mm. there's really no stopping that group of people. Mm -hmm. right. um, so, so for me, I've always, I've always seen theater as a catalyst towards something else, right? Doing the play, mm -hmm. the point of doing the play is never to just have done the play. The point of doing the play is to inspire some sort of larger conversation right. that comes from the, um, the experience of experiencing the play. Mm -hmm. And for me, hopefully, that larger conversation in some way involves, oh, that's a broken thing. We should make that better. Who wants to make that better with me? How do we make that better? How do we focus this energy? Mm -hmm. um, so working with a lot of community partners and just figuring out who else in the city is interested in, in working toward that same goal. Mm -hmm. um, and figuring out who they are, figuring out how we partner together, and then spending as much time remains before us to, to try to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a pretty remarkable, I think, example of really walking this talk and diving into the work of making sure that our stages, your stages, uh, represent our city was the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to hear more from you about that, about the process of planning it. And, uh, yeah. and I'll share also, you know, speaking to your, your mentioning of you know, a lot of theater that makes it unique is that you can just show up, you show up and listen, right? And you, and you are there and you listen to your own re internal responses to that um, and that of those around you. And I'll, I'll say having tuned into um, one of the plays of the festival, Stu, that even in a virtual space, obviously nothing will replace that feeling of, of, of presence, of having an audience surrounding you. But even in a virtual space, the invitation to... Um, be present and focus in on this one thing and have it delivered in a way that felt a lot like being in a live theater space. Certainly a lot different Glad than to hear you say that. Tuning, tuning into Netflix or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that it really it invited the sort of like presence and reflection that I think, um, you know, we don't get every day in the pandemic. So thank you for that. Um, and would, lo would love to hear more about sure. how it came about. Yeah. yeah, thank you for joining us for that. That's awesome. Um, and I'm so glad you had that experience. You know, it is, <laughs> It is not a replacement in any way for mm -hmm. um, 
you know, our ability to gather people together, definitely just a, a holdover, a tide over. We're certainly learning more about how that platform works and how we can make it feel a little bit more like theater. Yeah. But I do think the, the thing that we have yet to successfully replace, and I think as an industry, not just chamber, not just as theaters in Milwaukee, but as all of us are trying to come at this, is what is that, what is the gathering? Right. How do we how do we create some sort of reasonable facsimile to that mm -hmm. um, in a way that's not just a Zoom call, you know, because um, right. the thing with the screens, that's always I mean, we all we all understand the concept of screen fatigue now um, because we're so used to in conversation. And this goes directly to that that core act of listening, of active listening in the theater. Um, but in any conversation, we're used to getting some sort of energy recharge back from the person that we are interacting with. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that on these screens. So we're in these sort of deep, long, arduous, thoughtful conversations every day, just getting nothing back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it takes, it takes so much to, you're, you're putting out even more because you're conscious of getting nothing back. Right. Um, and yeah, it's draining. So I honestly, my, my hat is off to anybody who at the end of a workday that is largely based on screen still feels like, yeah, I'm gonna go check out a piece of theater on a screen. <laughs> that is, I, that's not something I wanna do every day. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah. particularly in the Zoom format. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, it was, the, it was the tool we had available to us at the time for the festival and um, certainly enjoyed diving into that, um, beginning to explore what might or might not be possible in that format. We certainly learned a lot that's going to carry us forward. But the, you know, the genesis of the festival was really, um, you know, going back to, to the end of May and the beginning of June mm -hmm. when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are murdered in quick succession and the Ahmaud Arbery video surfaces. Mm -hmm. um, and, and feeling like well, we need to respond to this moment somehow. We need to engage in this conversation. We need to be part of this dialogue. There is no, there is no response as of yet from the Milwaukee theater community collectively. So, so somebody has to do something. Um, and was sort of sitting, sitting there with a producing structure that existed but was idle, right? Um, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not doing anything with Milwaukee Chamber Theater right now, but it is sort of a, you know, turn the key and we could. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that we needed to, um, you know, we had a show to replace in August. Chamber is traditionally um, the first company in the city of Milwaukee to, to open its season. We do a show in August every year and had a production of Passing Strange that we were planning, which is a really phenomenal musical for anybody who's not seen it. Mm -hmm. um, it's about 10 years old. If you want to see something on a screen, uh, check it out. Spike Lee recorded the closing weekend of the Broadway. It's, and it's not only is the show sensational, but the actual recording of it, I think, is is absolutely one of the best things Spike Lee has ever done on film. Mm. Um, but it's available. There's a commercial DVD. I think it might still be on Amazon Prime. Um, but it's great. It's so <laughs> worth watching. It's so worth checking out. It's just a transcendent piece of theater. One of my all-time favorites. But you know, we had we had picked that to open the season, to open um, my first season, uh, sort of start off this conversation about what a new chamber is, to make a very affirmative statement right out of the gate that the black audience in Milwaukee is essential to what Chamber's gonna be moving forward. And that production was going to be um, the biggest show Chamber's ever produced, uh, the, like almost twice as expensive as anything else the company's <laughs> ever done in like 45 years. So, you know, wanted to make a, 
a big statement right out of the gate saying, look, we're not just, we're not just saying this. Um, we're putting a ton of resource behind it. And the story that we're telling you is a story that, um, while it's fundamentally rooted in black culture and exploring a world through the black lens also doesn't have a whole lot to do with black trauma. Mm. Um, a fundamentally human story about somebody trying to go find their own voice mm -hmm. and you know sharing that with the city was super important but in a pandemic we can't do that um, not only could we not have shouldered the expense for it but you know we just there's no way we're going to gather that many people to do a musical together and given them to record yeah. yeah 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 no, no way, way. Yeah. Um, and even in order to make it make financial sense there's still I mean, yeah. we basically need the capacity to sell out a theater in order to do that. So that had to go by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, we are hoping very much to open next season with that show. We'll see mm. how much the pandemic does for us. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, so those impulses really, knowing, knowing that there's a huge artistic response um, needed, knowing that um, we had made a commitment to our Black community and a number of Black artists, and that the reasons we made that commitment were only not changed, but increased in their urgency mm -hmm. um and the fact that we had the tools to do it um really compelled it so i got together with uh malkia stampley and demonte henning who've been friends for a long time um and who you know we have sufficient trust in our relationship so they would absolutely have felt free to say to me like yeah white dude this is not your place don't do this <laughs> um and yeah i had a really really good conversation we sat on the the steps of the <laughs> war memorial for a couple hours um, and just talk through what could be, why it would be, what it wanted to accomplish, um, and ultimately came out with, uh, with the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival, which, uh, you know, the, the central idea I think that was most important to everybody was that it was curated by Black artists or Black arts adjacent leaders in the community, that there was no, um, there was no white lens, because even in, you know, all, uh, Think of saying anything anybody doesn't know that most of the the established larger institutional theaters in Milwaukee are run by white executive leaders right. and perform primarily for white audiences and therefore whenever any work of color appears in their season or appears on their stage it's through a white lens mm -hmm. um, so really wanted to make sure this time around that that was not the case um, so you know we, we certainly talked through budgetary parameters and sort of like look this is what we think we can afford and what we can't afford but within that yeah. Whatever, um, whatever this community, this group of artists um, is interested in saying right now, say it um, and we'll produce it. And that was really the, the foundation that carried us through um, the planning and the rehearsing and moving on to, to opening and presentation. Um, incredibly proud of what we came up with, particularly on such a short runway. I mean, from from our initial conversation, um, when we brought Sherry Williams Pinnell into it, dragged Sherry Williams Pinnell into it shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, but I think from from that first conversation among the four of us to having something to go onto a website was barely three months. Um, so it happened really, really fast. Um, and you know, we're just looking forward now to having a longer runway for it next year. But Definitely, you know, there's one of the, the other things that was made clear right away was that nobody wanted to put time and effort into a one-off, that it had to be a long-term thing. Sure. And, you know, shortly, I don't know if you've seen it or not, um, but shortly after we had resolved to do this thing, um, the We See You White American Theater document appeared 
nationally, which is a, yeah. you know, a list of demands yeah. from BIPOC artists. Um, long overdue, so many of them. And then a uh, corollary letter, uh, we see you Milwaukee, mm -hmm. um, a yeah. list of suggestions and guidelines directed towards Milwaukee theaters. And uh, one of the core ones in there is this overriding theme of um, not about us without us. So hopefully, as the festival continues to grow more successful and more people would like to participate in it, we're able to actually uh, use that as a tool to leverage increased participation, not just in terms of finding, you know, creating more work for Black artists, which is great and certainly essential. Um, I mean, we, we, we hired something like 43 individual Black artists or Black arts leaders to participate in this mm -hmm. festival. Um, and probably could have done that three or four times over without any drop off in the quality of the ultimate product. Um, so uh, yeah, hopefully it also creates um, a real strong incentive for people to add um, black staff members and black executive leaders and black trustees to their organizations so mm -hmm. that we can as a community begin to um, produce the work from a very integrated perspective as opposed to you know, this is, this is this silo of work over here, and this is this silo over there. And certainly there are places and spaces where that's very important. You know, there is a, there is definitely a moment where you want to have a cultural conversation that is specifically for one group of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're, we're, again, working toward that desegregated space where it is, um, it is all things for all people all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that the lens feels sufficiently multicultural as opposed to, you know, this is the black play or the Latinx play or the LGBTQ play or the women's play or the issue play um, that, that in some way the curatorial voice and focus of the thing is, um, is all of those at once. Um, so not only does the whole season feel that sort of sense of collectivism, but every individual production in some way does as well, that all those perspectives are represented, everybody finds themselves in it in some way. Um, and, you know, we can't do that until every voice is sort of on an even playing field. I mean, there's that, um, that meme going around with all the, the sort of different colors of raised fists, right? We're explaining sort of Black Lives Matter means this, not this. Um, and all the sort of lighter colored fists are raised at a higher level and the black fist is at a lower level and saying Black Lives Matter means just raising that fist to the same level as all the other mm -hmm, fists, right? Mm -hmm. That's all we're trying to do. Um, but we also know that until we do that, we cannot, we cannot have a sort of multicultural conversation until we're starting from a place of genuine equity. So the festival is definitely a, a strong and assertive attempt to drive us to that position of equity um, much sooner than later. Mm -hmm. I, I think what you're what you're what you've shared about the the momentum of moving your organization towards representing Milwaukee on stage on your board on your staff etc is is so is so essential and powerful and I think I hope that that the outcome of this summer is that all arts institutions in Milwaukee are thinking and moving in that same direction. And I, I think that has to be the future of how our arts community um, approaches genuinely engaging with community. Um, and I wonder if you have any perspective on really a big, big complicated question of, but how, what would it take? What would it take for 
for <laughs> Milwaukee arts as a whole to be moving in that direction and, and making genuine leaps towards, towards that commitment. Dude, I don't know. I'm just a guy who says stuff. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a, uh, I think it is. A, <laughs> well, and, and, you know, honestly, once, once we figure that out, then we're moving in that direction as a community collectively. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think, the great question before us right now. But that is also the question before us as a society. How do we move forward collectively? Mm -hmm. How do we bring everyone together at the same pace to move into whatever the future is simultaneously? Um, funding is a huge part of it, and uh, particularly for nonprofits. Um, you know, we are so often beholden to whatever our major donors want. Mm -hmm. And for the majority of um, uh, Milwaukee's performing arts groups, that major donor is the United Performing Arts Fund, which is tremendous. It's so great to have that as an asset, um, such strong advocacy in the community. But, you know, even the largest of Milwaukee's performing arts groups only play to about five to 7% of the population. Mm -hmm. um, to uh, mention that to Gianna Tillich, another panel we were doing a few weeks back, and she responded by saying, yeah, and UPAF is the largest funder in the city really only draws funding from a single digit percentage of potential funders. So, so the question is, how do we get out of that single digit perspective, right? You have, to do, you have to do the work that matters to more than a single digit of people, but how do you do that if you live in fear that the people you have and who are supporting you now are going to abandon you as you move on that journey? So it's this crazy sort of chicken egg. Um, what is the catalyst for transition? And, you know, uh, I think in the history of the nonprofit arts, the catalyst for transition has always been some single crazy rich visionary who's gone, oh, institutional leader, I agree with you. Here's some money, go make it happen, right? And there, there comes change. Um, so I, I, there's no easy solution, particularly because the patterns that we're in right now as a performing arts community in Milwaukee have been entrenched for the better part of a generation. Mm -hmm. And we are now looking at a generational shift. So hopefully that generational shift, if we can get it right, where we are attracting people to uh, a different style of work at the same time that we're making sure that style of work still appeals to our core audiences, right? And that just, that just goes back to being really specific and really focused on mission, mm -hmm. which if this pandemic is doing anything, I think it is forcing everyone to look very closely at what their core mission is. Mm -hmm. Much in the same way, you know, I was, I was at the rep when 2008 happened. And, you know, one of the largest, one of the largest conversations when we started to cut budget was, all right, where, where has the mission drift been occurring? Because those are the places we need to eliminate first. Mm -hmm. And I think, I hope everyone's having those conversations now, um, not coming at it from a reactionary how many dollars do we need to keep the lights on? But what is our core programming? What is most important to us? What are we best at? Um, not just where do our competencies lie, but where do our excellences lie? Right. And how do we move forward with just those things? Once, once you start doing that, as opposed to trying to be all things to all people or to not alienate anyone, which when you're talking about an arts organization is possible fundamentally <laughs> right otherwise you stop being an arts organization mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you find the people who are most aligned to what you want to do and a lot of those people i think when you start speaking your truth in that way are people that haven't heard you before for whatever reason mm -hmm. so hopefully you pick up some new catalysts that way as well mm -hmm. um 
but you know, for us here at Chamber, we're trying to we're trying to center it on stories of fundamental humanity mm-hmm. that um, have something really significant to say about the world we live in right now. Um, have some sort of essential question about our community or our country at their center, um, and in some way revolve around language. Mm. Um, and those those three elements to me seem to be not only um, in the wheelhouse of our core audience, uh, but also of great appeal to Gen X and millennial audiences, mm-hmm. um, and also sort of transcend um, divisions of culture or race or ethnicity or gender or sexual identity or ability. Um, and we now just need to figure out how to tell people that that's what's happening here or that's what we want to happen here. Right. Right. Um, and the, the virtual existence that the pandemic is forcing upon us in many ways helps us do that because Mm -hmm. we are able to, um, I mean, not fully transcend barriers, right? Because you still have to have internet access somehow. You still need to have the financial resource to purchase a product somehow. Yeah. Um, but it does eliminate the barriers of mobility, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, eliminates the barrier, any perceived barriers of, you know, what do I wear to go to this place? How will I be treated in this neighborhood? This is a brand new experience. Will people laugh at me? You know, you get to, you get to experience story in your home. So it does give us uh, a new opportunity for an entry point that we're trying to figure out how to take advantage of as much as we can. Um, how do we begin to let people know that, hey, this is, a, this is a very soft introduction to not only theater in general for people who don't usually attend, but specifically what we're trying to do here at Milwaukee Chamber Theater. Um, you know, one of the, the most heartening statistics, I think, coming out of the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival was that half of the households who attended um, were first-time attendees for Chamber, mm. which is great. So that that's right now the little sort of kernel of um, success and joy that we're trying to hold on to and build on yeah. as we yeah. contemplate whatever the rest of the season looks like, that it is possible to to meet some new folks in a virtual space and that that is going to be the audience that we're going to carry forward with um, when we're on the other side of this exclusively virtual space, whatever that might look like. Mm-hmm. So there, there are no easy answers and we're making it up as we go along. Um, but, but again, it, it just all comes back down to relationship building and figure out how to meet people on a level that they feel they need to be met. Mm-hmm. And whether that's accessibility, whether that's story, whether that is um, delivery system, just right. figuring out all, all those different ways that we can get to as many folks as we can say, hey, we're trying to have a conversation about Milwaukee. Do you want to be part of that conversation? Mm. And most Milwaukeeans are going to answer, well, yeah, to that question, because we all care about the place we live in. And we all realize that as, as many beautiful, yeah. wonderful things as it has going for us, it's also profoundly, fatally broken in many ways. And that the time to address those things is so far past. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is, I, mean, I don't want to speak too broadly generationally, but I do sense um, in the Gen X and millennial leadership that is surfacing in this community, a desire to not take that as an unalterable status quo, which, which I don't know that we felt as a city before. Everyone has certainly That's recognized, right. oh, this is wrong and broken and we got to change it. But everybody's sort of been, ah, but who knows how? It's such a big problem. Yeah, where um, do we start? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. now 
it feels like the Gen X and millennial leaders who are surfacing are saying, who cares where we start? Pick a place. There are millions of them to start. Just start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it feels like we are, we are on the front end of that conversation right now, definitely driving hard towards that before the pandemic. Um, and just having to figure out now how to operate in the space to be able to continue to continue starting wherever we can find a place to start. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the I'll never I'll never use the phrase silver lining or whatnot about how we're having to react to the yeah. pandemic, but an interesting outcome, you know, your point of um, the folks that that tuned into the Black Theater Festival, a lot of more first time attendees. Um, and I, I had heard some data as well. Uh, don't have it in front of me, so I won't speak to it in detail, but that um, shared some uh, some similar takeaways that a lot of arts organizations were seeing that the the audiences that tuned into their ritual offerings were more socioeconomically diverse, more racially diverse, et cetera. These are the things that we as arts institutions have said that we wanted for our audiences for a long time, but it's hard to make it happen in practice, it seems. So to uh, the wondering of of how do we carry that forward and and in the midst of of thinking about how arts organizations in general carry forward and and um, make it past this time is a lot of a lot of fodder for change, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. If I can ask you another zoom out question about Milwaukee sure. and culture at large. Uh, what do you think, what do you think are some of the sector's strengths? What are some areas for growth? Maybe you've spoken to them already, but. Yeah, I mean, um, stability was going to be my answer to strength, but I don't know about that. Um, I think so still, you know, the, most of the arts organizations that have been, that are existing now have existed for quite some time. Mm. Um, it's, there's definitely far fewer of them than when I got back here 20 years ago. Um, I mean, we have about a, uh, feels like a third of the professional theater companies mm-hmm. right now that we had back then. Um, but those companies that are still existing have existed for a very long time. Um, there's, there's deep, deep foundations under them, which for any nonprofit is really, really important. Of course, the flip side to that is you get a, you know, a, a lot of entropy. Mm-hmm. Um, artistic leadership in Milwaukee has a, a tradition of, of being measured in geologic epochs compared to other cities, you know, mm-hmm. so there is a certain, um, you have to be very careful as a leader that you are continually looking to refresh what you're doing and that you're finding new impulses and new sources and new voices to listen to so you don't fall into the same pattern. Um, but the, for a city that is as change averse as Milwaukee is, I think the relative lack of tumult Mm-hmm. in performing arts groups is important. It just gives everybody not only a sense of confidence from the donor side, but you have that opportunity to, to build some longer standing relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, the artist community in this town is crazy deep for a city this size. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I mean, the, the bar is so high and the bench is so deep. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, even for those of us who, who think we have a pretty good handle on it. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is meet someone who travels in sort of a different artistic network and be open to that network. And suddenly you realize you haven't begun to scratch the surface. So mm-hmm. the, the talent right now far outstrips um, the institutional capacity to support for profile it, which is a great, great thing from a producing perspective, because um, 
just the, the diversity and multiplicity available is tremendous. Um, but it's hard to keep artists engaged if mm -hmm. they're not working. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we do have as much as, you know, the, the talent drain in Milwaukee is a documented thing and that counts for the arts just as much as it does for the corporate or educational sectors. Sure. Um, people got to go to find work and they always want to come back. But if the work's not here, they're not coming back because they have to live. Mm -hmm. So it's another interesting thing right now that, um, that I think is characterizing particularly millennial artists um, and a little bit the lower end of Gen X artists saying, I don't want to go. This is my home. I'm going to make it here. I'm going to figure out how to do it here. We're just going to build it here. Mm -hmm. And we are starting to get a little bit of critical mass now around this, this sort of multimodal conversation about what Milwaukee's arts community is and can be and wants to be mm -hmm. um, as driven by the artists, which is also a super exciting thing because that yeah. doesn't happen often. Yeah. Um, but if that, if that conversation continues in, in another five years, um, there should be some incredible vibrancy here. And if, uh, if the economic inspiration of that vibrancy matches the cultural inspiration, we should have something really special on our hands. Mm. Um, and the, the danger, I think, is the danger of all things in Milwaukee, that nothing changes. <laughs> mm. um, that we sort of, we look at what we have, we sort of go, oh, well, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. And or we try it once or, or we try it once and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't quite work. And then we get scared to try it again. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think those are those are mindsets that I do not see reflected in Gen X and millennial and younger leaders at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's just because they haven't lost enough, right, to have that ingrained with them yet. Who knows? Give it five more years. Maybe we'll all be so beaten down and bedraggled that that will be saying, don't change anything. It's too scary on the other side of change. But, yeah. but I do think there is, a, there is an appetite for it now. Um, for people to say, look, the infrastructure is solid. We just got to make it work for everybody. And we got to build it out because there are so many people who aren't being served right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think, transcends all of the artistic conversations that seem to be going on in this community right now um, as generated by artists, and as generated by artists in those two um, emerging generational groups mm. but that is you know the the, the entropy is a real thing mm -hmm. and you know our our collective um our sort of collective identity as being in some ways second rate um holds us back in a lot of places and i see a lot of people going we're actually not second rate we're smaller but so what right and, that, you know, there's some that doesn't hold us back. In fact, it's our asset. It's an asset, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it makes us nimble and it brings the community closer together and it makes everything mutually supporting um, in a way that is, that is really, really healthy. And I suppose, you know, the other danger is over-commodification, but we're years away from having to worry about that problem. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, if we, I don't know, if we break two or three national bands in a year, then, okay, we'll have the conversation about like, no, how do we protect what's good? But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not happening anymore. Not there yet, yeah. No. Um, no, but yeah, so I think the, and the diversity is a massive strength. Um, the amount of, of varied perspectives in this community, um, from whatever lens you choose to look through is, is huge. We just have to figure out how to knock down all the walls that are separating them, get everybody together in the same room. And then mm. we can, then we can really start to have fun mm. envisioning how this place can work for everybody. Mm. 
Well, we're reaching the end of our time. Thank you for sharing your perspective. The the vision you paint for what you're building for Chamber Theater and what that what that could mean for Milwaukee Arts in general is really inspiring to me. And I'm grateful to have the chance to have talked with you more about it. Um, as we as we wrap up, I, I do want to ask you our, our a closing question, um, which is, is there something in Milwaukee Arts and Culture that you haven't had the chance to mention in our conversation today that you want to lift up and encourage folks oh, to go check out? Boy. Um... Just, just explore, honestly. There's no one thing. Um, just find something new and take this opportunity right now where we are all exploring new ways to access things to, to engage with something new in a way you haven't before, right? I think the, I think the film festival is going to be all virtual this year, mm -hmm. right? Um, take the opportunity to participate in that if you never have before. Yeah. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to go to a theater. You don't have to worry about like, oh, which showing am I going to catch at which time? And that conflicts with this other thing I want to see. You don't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. Just chill on your couch and see some great films that you've never heard of and you wouldn't otherwise see. Um, listen to some new local music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I just get to know our scene more. There's so much, there's so much out there and a lot of it is so, so good. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, take this opportunity while, while all of the normal patterns are disrupted to explore some new ones. Um, so no, there's no one thing. I mean, obviously find Milwaukee Chamber Theater online. If of, you course. Before. of course. Of um, course. Yeah. Check into <laughs> all of our content that way. But um, no, it's, uh, it, 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 is, it is such a fertile moment to just learn new stuff and learn new stuff about new people, right? I mean, for those of us who are in the privileged position to be able to use this time in that way, right? As opposed to having to deal with health struggles or having to, um, you know, work our way through incredible economic privation. If, if there is an opportunity to, um, to explore a new facet of Milwaukee's culture, do it, it's worth it. And with that, thank you, Brent. My pleasure. Thanks so much. I'm happy to, always happy to talk and so appreciate this opportunity to, to share some thoughts and get to know you a little bit too. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe by searching Arts Forward MKE on your favorite listening platform or go to imaginemke.org slash podcast. Also be sure to check out our other two podcasts, Imagine This Podcast and Black Imagination, and follow us on social, on Facebook as Imagine Space MKE, and on Instagram and Twitter as Imagine underscore MKE. Special thanks to musician Kala for the use of his song, I Want You to Be Kind to Yourself, which you're listening to now. Be well, friends. <laughs>